Welcome to Stand Out, a podcast on the modern woman. And I'm here today with Anna Schienberg Batra. She is the leader of the Moderate Party, and she's someone that I met, I think, about two years ago when I lived in Stockholm with my husband, who was the American ambassador. And I had just moved from Washington, D.C., where we lived and where we live again now. And I had worked in the U.S. Senate for Senator John Kerry as an intern. And I remember moving to Stockholm and feeling very pessimistic about women in politics. And after meeting Anna and many women in Sweden, it really gave me such optimism. So I'm really happy to be here with you, Anna, and to hear your story, because I think it will have an effect on all of us in America now. So welcome, Anna. Thank you, Natalia. And first question, how do you stand out? I'm the first woman leader of my party after a history of over 100 years. When Sweden approaches 100 years of universal suffrage in 21, uh, we still wouldn't have had a woman prime minister, uh, which I'm actually looking to try to become because I'm leading my uh, change in my party. I'm leading the coalition that is now in opposition and I want us to come back stronger than ever. What kind of leader do you want to be seen as? When we meet here, I'm still in my first year as a leader, uh, but I still get asked a lot of questions that I don't think my predecessors got. Like, how do you feel being a woman in this position? And I, <laughs> I don't recall that Mr. Reinfeldt ever got the question, my predecessor, how does it feel to be a party leader, a prime minister and a man? He didn't, he, I, don't, I don't think he ever got that question. I get it all the time. Uh, well, I have never tried living in any other gender <laughs> than this, so I don't know. But I have been the first woman to or the first female this and that a few times. And you do get a lot of other questions that uh, that the men don't get, which sort of reminds you that you're still... Um, you're still... Yeah, well, you still stand out from, from the norm or the normal... And to me, that sort of empowers me that, well, then you need to change that until it is as normal to be a woman in this position than it is to be a man. Is it a burden or do you find it an inspiration for yourself? To me, it's definitely Do you feel that you have to be perfect? I do see that you get other questions, you get other scrutiny. It's more about, um, well looks or how do you present yourself? Uh, I read somewhere that Hillary Clinton even said that it's still about my hair. <laughs> um, and you do get a lot of other questions than, than men do. Uh, more in other countries than in Sweden, I also get the quest questions like, who looks after your family when you work? Uh, in Sweden, it's, it's uh, well, we are Quite an egalitarian society, of course, if you compare to a lot of other ones. But we do have very higher ratio than many other countries of well, men who both work and take responsibility at home, even for the children. But you still get different questions, I think, if you're a woman than if you're a man. And it's sort of regarded that you still get questions that sort of reveal that he or she who, who puts the question to you sort of wonders, hmm, a, woman's, um, a woman should look after her family first and then work. Uh, whereas I've, I've always combine, combined them. I think you're a better parent if you also take on challenges in your professional life and don't um, deny that. 
And I think you've touched on something very important, and that is the mother's burdening guilt. And I think we all feel it. I've flown here to do these podcasts, and I think for about six of my nine-hour trip, I panicked, thinking, I'm leaving my daughter for 10 days. How can I do this? I shouldn't work. I should be with her. She misses me. Obviously, I think that subsides, and I love to work, and I am ambitious. And I think that word ambition is double-edged, both in the U.S., but especially in Sweden. Sometimes you're not supposed to be too ambitious, man or woman. And in Sweden, especially if you're a woman, you shouldn't be. You know, how do you kind of contend with that? Do you feel the guilt? Do you care? (laughs) That's so interesting because Sweden is very, very much about being uh, normal, not standing out too much. Standing out is sort of regarded as American (laughs) compared to Sweden. Uh, So you're expected to be like everyone else. And at the same time, you're expected to do the, uh, the almost impossible. So you're both compared with very, very high standards. Uh, I'm trying to do things that not so many other people have done and what no other woman in Sweden has achieved, uh, which is not really normal. I mean, that is standing out on the on the one hand. On the other hand, it's important to me, to myself, but also I get a lot of questions about, well, do you go to parents' meetings like everybody else? Um, which is important in Sweden. It is important to me. I want to live it. Uh, as ordinary everyday life as possible. Uh, my role is special, but I'm not, and my family is not, and I I'm perfectly fine with the difference between the two. In, and, and a society that's very cohesive, which I think also is a strength. In in Sweden, you should uh, you should be able to live a perfectly ordinary everyday life, even if you have a very special job. That I and I like it. I'm not. I'm not complaining about that. I just. I. Uh, I also find strength in that. Just going for a walk with my daughter and doing nothing really special. <laughs> that. That's really. That could be the best way to prepare for a very very special speech. Mm. Do you think Swedes should be more like Americans when it comes to standing out? And I. I say this because I. I had such a mental journey when I moved here. Almost four years ago, I was a new mom. I was, you know, 27 years old. My daughter was two. And I was convinced I was moving to heaven, to utopia. I had written about Sweden before. I had written about the daycare and the Huffington Post. I was livid at my own country, who has some of the worst infrastructure for women in the world when it comes to maternity leave, paternity leave, no daycare. And I think it took about two years for me, especially speaking to other women, to female CEOs, that in fact, despite all of the resources, there are not that many women leaders. There are a lot of women in the workforce, but not that many women leaders. And I think there's a strong connection to this concept of standing out. You know, Sheryl Sandberg wrote in Lean In that the behaviors that help women in school, raising your hand, being polite, not talking when others speak, and help them succeed, there are not behaviors that help you succeed in the banks as a CEO, perhaps as a politician. So sometimes I think Swedish women suffer from this double yante or double Mm -hmm. not standing out. Mm -hmm. As a woman, you're not supposed to stand out. And as a Swede, you're not supposed (laughs) to stand out. Do you think this is what, what holds them back? 
Maybe, maybe there's something to it. Uh, however, I, I hope that that's changing uh, in the younger generation, the generation of our daughters, if you will. When I was in school, you should definitely, you were expected as a girl to be, do your schoolwork, be quiet, not stand out, not talk too much and all of that. Be just <laughs> sweet. And I never really was. <laughs> uh, but that was who you were expected to sort of be. Um, so yes, Swedes still tend try not to stand out too much on the one hand. On the other hand, this is changing with the younger generation. There are more girls now that go for higher studies, for example. There are more women in universities. There are more women as entrepreneurs and all of that. You see changes. And the thing is, uh, what makes Sweden a very strong society is actually the strength and cohesion, which actually enables you also to stand out. So I don't think that they have to be in contrast to one another. When I sit down with them, um, With the unicorns, for example, the the tech firms who really, really stand out from especially the Stockholm region, who are even, I mean, if you look at Klarna, Spotify, these are international names now. They're definitely standing out. And they have grown from uh, this environment. They went to Swedish schools in the 70s. They have um, the possibility, both men and women, to take parental leave, to use um, daycare, which is paid for by the taxes and all of that. So through a society where we care a lot about each other, that actually also enables um, people to stand out. Sweden is really a good environment for entrepreneurs to thrive, to come from other countries here. You can see that it, Sweden is sort of attractive to come live with your family. It sort of functions. The society is quite good and quite nice, and we take care of that. And that enables actually people to stand out if they want to. So I want to see both, both that we take care of each other, that both men and women care for their kids and families and that we can provide for that also with well, the society and more standing out Swedish leaders and entrepreneurs. How do you raise your daughter? Do you tell her to stand out? What What values do you find really important for her? Well, what's Really, I think is important, uh, which I also hear from like male friends who have daughters, is that you want to bring them up into a more gender equal society. Uh, I was taught when I was her age that girls can't do this, girls mm. can't do that. That's no, no girl has done that. And I don't want her to feel that way. And that's sort of a responsibility that we have, that you that you have, that I have, and that our generation has. When she asks me or her friends, why aren't there any um, women on the pictures in the business magazine? Or why do they say girls soccer instead of soccer when we are playing and we get um, lesser time to play soccer? Um, I don't want to answer her that, well, that's the way it's supposed to be in this society, because it's not. And that's a responsibility that you have also as a parent in the in your everyday life and also as a political leader. Where did you find the strength or the the core confidence if you were told you can't do these things to do what you're doing? Because I think that part is incredibly important. My parents were very poor. They were immigrants. We weren't raised with much, but I was an only child. And I remember especially my father saying to me, 
which at the time actually put a lot of pressure on me. But looking back, he said, you are, you have to be a leader, not you are one or you should be one. You have to, you have to do it for us, for your family, for the country we came from, you know, to be a Eastern European or Polish American in America and to be successful. But I actually think looking back, that really gave me this drive and this energy. And I hear from a lot of my Swedish friends that it's so good in Sweden. Are we spoiled? You know, are our kids getting the, perhaps in America, it's extreme, the killer instinct, the competition is fierce. But is that missing in Sweden? Do you think about that at all? I think Sweden is we, we maybe nicer and and not as competitive as the Americans. We talked about that before. Yeah, yeah. I've met Natalia before. <laughs> um, uh, so in Sweden, it would be regarded as as American to be very very competitive, for example. Uh, but I just never, I just never accepted when anyone would tell me that. Uh, no, there's never been a, a woman in this position or a girl in this position, or this is, girls are not supposed to do this or this. Don't you see, this is the real story, uh, don't you see that these guys want to do this, which I wanted to, some taking on some role somewhere. Uh, and I just never accepted that. I always wondered, no, why? Why should that be, be a factor? Shouldn't like, um, well... Both sexes have access to anything they want or could do based on really merit and, and skills. Um, so I just never accepted it. Why is that? Well, maybe that brings you back to cohesion and Sweden. I was, uh, I'm born 1970 and Sweden in the 70s must be the most egalitarian place maybe on earth. Uh, I had uh, nothing special really childhood, but it was very, it was quite happy, quite confident. And I just grew up knowing that if I work hard, I could do uh, anything I want. I was, I have a brother uh, who was taught the same. And that sort of brings you back maybe to that if you keep society as open and cohesive and a place that everyone can have a good childhood and you fight for that so everyone can really get it, everyone can't yet, uh, be it if you were born a boy or a girl, then options are also open for anyone. I mean, if you have uh, a good start in school, a family that's not well, broken, for example, or in in extreme trouble, then it's easier for you to make your own choices as you grow up. As, so uh, a safe and cohesive society is important for everyone to become what he or she wants to be later on. Have you ever had a moment where you wanted to give up? And oh, lots, I, <laughs> lots, I say that lots. because, you, you know, we're... We've joked about this. We're, we're more scrutinized as women in the spotlight for what we look like. I think more scrutinized for what we say. You've had some situations where you've said things taken out of context, and that happens very often to women in my country as well. Mm -hmm. What was that moment, and how did you kind of push through it? Oh, I've done that a number of times. <laughs> uh, I've, given, I've given up a number of times and thinking, ah, it's not worth it. And so, and, but then... Um, the political interest is sort of a part of 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 who I am. Uh, so when I have, which I have, left like the youth organization or or parliament, and 
I was I was in Parliament. I was elected the first time, and then I lost my seat. And we went. We had our worst elections ever, and everyone sort of <laughs> quit. And I thought, good. Now I'll start the rest of my life and just not do this. And then after a few years, like, hmm, I want to change this. I want to do that. And you sort of have this, um, well, interest and drive. And the opportunity came. It has to, of course. I mean, you have to get elected. You have to get a, have good people around you and the possibility to do something. Otherwise, otherwise I would give up. But when I do have, um, well, people's confidence, you need that, of course, in, in politics, and, a good, and an agenda and good people around you who also want to pursue that, it also gives you a lot of energy, uh, which takes you through the tougher moments. There are a number of them, of course, and this is also this is a competitive game where you're not always nice to your opponents, <laughs> and they definitely well that happens. And the energy to to take you through that comes from uh, comes from passion. Really, you have to if you believe in what you're doing and it's important, then it will then you, that will take you over a number of hurdles and through darker periods as well. Do you ever feel guilty or? a bad conscience for the nature of politics or for how competitive it gets. And again, I mean, I've been back in the U.S. now for two months. We have a presidential race coming up and we've had a candidate, Donald Trump, talk about women and their menstrual cycles. <laughs> we've had just some of the worst language I've heard in my lifetime in a campaign. Sweden is not as, I think, extreme to that degree, but there is some nature in taking someone else down. Mm-hmm. Do you do you feel comfortable with that? Uh, no, and I try to avoid it, and I try to look at the people I work with not to go there when there is some sort of almost campaigning at times against woman opponents. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so easy to start making fun of them and be a part of that, and I really try not to. Mm-hmm. If they deserve criticism for what they have done or said, seriously, they should get it as hard as men would. Uh, there shouldn't be a difference there. But if the sort of campaigning, which has a gender element, which you see at times also in Sweden, I also have a responsibility not to go there because that would diminish my woman opponents and they would probably throw it right back at me. <laughs> and if we want to have sort of, if I want to take them seriously and, re- and expect them to take me seriously, we should judge each other, not by our hair or voice or shoes, but what we seriously do and compare that to, to the other men. This is interesting in Sweden because we we have the numbers. We have one of the world's highest number of women in, in Parliament, for example. We have women in the workforce. Um, Some of the highest Swedish, numbers, yes, yes. And Swedish women work more and take greater part in society on almost all levels than compared to many other countries. But we still have differences in how we treat men and women in the highest positions. Uh, and if you seriously want to change that, you need to follow that also when there is a campaign or an impulse to throw really almost sexist criticism to even an opponent. Uh, we have not, I believe we have not met or spoken since I left my role as being the spouse to a politician and to someone representing the government in Sweden. Now that I have left, I can say it was very hard for me in many ways 
to be the, the spouse. It was hard as someone that's very open, that loves to both uplift, but also point out and voice weaknesses in my own country, in my own government. I wasn't allowed to do that. I was often scared to be funny or sarcastic, not only because it could affect me, it could affect my husband, it could affect my country. And it was hard to have this kind of open personality and not be able to be who I am. And you're married to a very open man. He's a comedian mm -hmm. and David is fantastic and you are a fantastic couple. Has this been hard for him or for you as a couple? You've been in politics most of your life, but this is, there's a lot of attention on you and has been since you took the role. Um, and I do get this question quite a lot. Uh, you can see in the public that we are treated differently, uh, but, and we should to some extent, uh, not because of the difference in sex, but in, because of the difference in what we do. Comedians should be allowed to say really anything and even, uh, push boundaries for what you can do or say. Uh, and you should do that. I mean, um, political correctness or political uh, thinking everything through should be dangerous to, to comedy and comedians. Uh, whereas if I say something in my role in the chamber of parliament, that should be, that is on record and it should be, I should be accountable for that very, very seriously so. And if I then would, well, try a new joke, uh, that wouldn't be the time or the place. So our roles are different, and they should be. And I hope people respect that. And, um, and uh, it feels like they do. Does he still feel free? He has to, and he should, and he definitely does. Uh, wouldn't it be horrible if, a, if he was reduced or diminished as my spouse because of what I do? That wouldn't absolutely. That also wouldn't be gender equality, would it? Absolutely. But so that if happens. you do believe, <laughs> yes, and if you do believe in an open society and gender equality, and that uh, neither he nor she is reduced to spouse only, then you have to respect both of the professional identities and um, languages and what you do in your professional role and be able to distinguish between them. Otherwise, you wouldn't respect that we both work uh, in different areas. David comes from an immigrant background. And I raised this not just in Sweden, but in Europe and in my country. I mean, racial issues. We've had a lot of racially inspired shootings in the past year. Sadly, this has become a very big topic. And in Europe, integration has become a big topic, also especially in Sweden. Do you consider yourself a multiracial family or does that, your personal situation, not situation, your personal life come into your stance as a politician in any way? Now, as you know, uh, having lived in Sweden for, for a time, all Swedes aren't blonde. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> the listeners maybe wouldn't know, but I'm, I'm not. Um, and Sweden is uh, and should be, I think, more open and a greater mix of, of more and more nationalities, more backgrounds than you might think. And it's very, very important that regardless of who you are, where you came from or how you look, that you should be included in this open and cohesive society. And this is a challenge for Sweden because we have this very, very strong idea of cohesion and who we are. And now we have a climate in society where you see 
racism and extremism on the rise when we have a very problematic uh when we have well the war in Syria, for example, and a number of other examples around us that cause a lot of people to flee from for their lives and they also come here. Uh, but I have to be optimist and work hard in order to maintain Sweden's strength as a cohesive society. And then you need to take the fight for that to include everyone. If you came here as a refugee and you will be able to stay, then you're part of this society and you should be included. You should not be left out from possibilities on the labor market or you should not have to be subject to racism. And when you see, for example, violence and racism on the rise, that is why it is so important to to fight that. There are people fighting against the idea of an open and cohesive society, but my passion is to fight for this open and cohesive society and we need to do that. Sweden has had peace for 200 years. Nothing much has changed, if you generalize heavily now, of course, and compare us to the US, which was built on immigrants coming from all over the world, whereas Swedes have lived in our little quiet corner of the world for 200 years. And now we have pressure around us. Do you think Swedes take their freedom for granted? Maybe they do. Maybe we do. And we shouldn't. We need to fight to... Uh, to keep it and preserve it. And we need to fight also for the openness and cohesion. I mean, Sweden is one of the... If you look at, for example, World Economic Forum has a social progress index where we are one of them. We normally score really high in those types of rankings because we are both quite a rich country and a cohesive society. But you should really know that that doesn't just come for free. Maybe we take it for granted sometimes, which would be really dangerous. And in trouble sometimes, when there's a lot of turmoil around us, it's even more, never less, it's very much more important to remember this and fight for it to keep Sweden a good society as it is, including everyone. But are you worried in any way? And I say this because I got this comparison a lot. America's a country, we should do it like America. But we were based on that. And the other thing is, You identity, what it means to be American is you can be Native American. You can also be Kenyan, Jewish, African American. We have a president who basically campaigned as being what we define as the new American, completely multiracial. Can you be a Somali Swede yet? You should. We don't discuss like race and where you came from as much as, as in the US, I think. Everyone in Sweden should be Swede and there's no exception to that. And you see now, you see a dangerous development in some parts of, of this country where groups of foreign born and also large groups who had trouble in school never get their first job, never get into society. And then you have a risk of exclusion that could become permanent. Uh, and the reason why I fight that is that if you get groups who live outside society or create their own parallel societies, you lose the cohesive Sweden. But the cohesive Sweden already has a quite a number, quite a ratio of people who were not born here, who were not, who didn't have ancestors here the last 200 years, but who came here from other countries and who are extremely beneficial to our society and have the right to be here. So Sweden is already a country where people from all over the world live. 
And we need to keep this country together and cohesive because that is what makes Sweden so strong. Do you wish there was more confrontation in politics here in Sweden? Between the serious options in politics, yes. Uh, now we have quite polite debates in <laughs> parliament sometimes, but we have important differences between well, me and the, the current prime minister in how the country could develop, how we could make Sweden stronger and more cohesive. And that needs to be debated because we are, so, we are at a bit of a crossroads here when we have all over Europe, you see extremism on the rise. There are a lot of people who are worried what is happening to Uh, to to our society is it is it changing and is it changing to in a direction that I don't like and then where am I going with that now I want to take responsibility and we need to get the the mainstream political debate the serious political debate to be about how to build Sweden stronger in a changing world that requires us to change we always did We were historically quite good at accepting innovation, building old resources into something new. We are still technology exporters. We still develop and export new technology. So we can do that. We have done that historically. And why shouldn't we be able to do that in the future? Including all of our society, regardless of who you are, where you came from. Uh, and that's really a challenge which, take, which takes leadership and reform. And that's really what the political debate deserves to be about, because it's really about where we are in the future. You've mentioned jobs and integration. And I can say, you know, just seeing through my own parents, they integrated through work and through starting their own businesses, including mm -hmm. cleaning companies. Mm -hmm. My father managed or supervised a crew of night janitors as a young person until he eventually, 10 years into it, helped found his own business. What I found, though, in Sweden is that services, you're not supposed to have someone clean your house. You're not supposed to have someone take care of your child. What do you think of that, you know, it's beneath me to do a certain job or we shouldn't have those kinds of jobs in Sweden. Do you agree with that? No, we should. We would definitely need those types of jobs for the exact same reason you mentioned, and we need more of them. This is debated now. Uh, we introduced, when, when my party was in government uh, a few years ago, we introduced a reform that um, made it, well, tax deductible really to buy these types of services, which uh, got these types of companies growing which empowered women to start their own business uh, or to get their business to grow and who turned a, quite a grey or even black sector on the labour market into white real jobs when you get pension rights and, and sick leave if you need it. Uh, so it sort of moved people from, from the shadow side of the economy into the mainstream economy. It empowered women especially. And I've I've personally met some of these who are now who used to be employed or even not even employed anywhere else and then they got cleaning jobs and now they have careers in this sector now here's the conflict um, the current government has more of the view that uh, more frown on this and are actually reducing the possibilities for this sector i on the other hand think it needs to grow and i think it's good 
in a country, in a strong, cohesive society, you need both these super high technology jobs, and there are not so many of them, and there are not so many who can get them or create them, and you need uh, all sorts of jobs, and you need a flourishing and growing service sector where there is a lot of demand and there are lots of well, businesses and jobs also being created. We definitely need more of that, and there's um, quite some political conflict around that. And a final question I ask all my guests, women who use their voices, empower other women, face challenges. Anna, how do you stand up? I try to. Uh, I try to in my everyday life and I just love empowering other women too. When you meet someone who comes to you, and that happens to me quite a lot, and says, oh, I'm not really sure if I want to take on this challenge. Could I really do that? I almost always find a reason to tell her that, girl, you could do that. And when I see that she also does, I'm proud. Thank you, Anna. Thank you. This podcast is a collaboration with Doggins Industry and ACAST. Produced by Henrik Janssen and ACAST. With Sandra Moline as supervising producer and Carl Rosander as executive producer. 